0: This edition of How To Be A CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, Reid, Founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream
1: into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. ES
0: Audio Sometimes launching a business is about tinkering around in your garage or on the kitchen table selling stuff to friends and family and growing from there. Sometimes it's about driving a tank onto the field and saying this belongs to us now.
1: I've still got the the first deck that our then CEO James said, I think it was called The Star, And it was like a bunch of bullet points about what we were trying to do, like very, very top line. So from day one, we've had that scale of ambition, that breadth of ambition. And to do that, of course, you need you need to be well financed.
0: Joe McCoskey was one of the team tasked with creating London-based zone. He's now its North America CEO. The sports streamer burst onto the scene in 2016 with launches in Japan and Germany. By 2020, it was in over 200 international markets. When
1: well, there was five of us in the room trying to work out what we we're going to do with this thing, and there's a group of us who are still around, like half, you know, more than half of that team is still in the business. So. That wouldn't be the case if we pivoted and lost all of our character and gone to this big sort of corporate machine. It's definitely it retains a disruptive energy and a disrup- disruptive spirit that makes it a very engaging place to work, for sure.
0: I'm David Marlson from the Evening Standard. Sports is a brutal industry, whether you're playing the game or filming it. It's cutthroat, a competitive market's packed with legacy players who have huge bank accounts and the costs rise every year. So do audience expectations. It's not an easy place for newcomers. A lot don't survive. So when we meet Joe, the first thing I want to know is why try in the first place.
1: Well, yeah. Look, I think the context of where the zone came from is is really relevant in that, and also the opportunity that we saw um, ahead of the market um, around the, the the sort of revolution that streaming was was bringing to other entertainment industries. If you consider sort of late 2014, early 2015, Spotify and Netflix in different entertainment verticals, being obviously music and entertainment television, were not the established businesses they are now, but they were pretty well into their journey and were showing great signs of of success in terms of, you know, growing their customer bases, growing their revenues, growing their profitability or their journey towards profitability. The question was asked of, of the leadership, why is sport not embracing at this time um, streaming tech in, in the way that music and entertainment television had. And over the course of sort of 12, 18 months, a small group of us within Perform Group did the homework, got on whiteboards, got, you know, a lot of research, a lot of, lot of trips to, to various parts of the world, a lot of conversations with rights holders to establish where they would like to see disruption happen and whatever way you sliced and diced the data, a couple of countries came out on top of that as, 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 making sense for for launch markets. And obviously the scale of investment since that point has been significant. Uh, We've proven that the model can work. We've proven an ability to acquire premium rights in major media markets of the world. Um, We've built a successful business. So with that comes, you know, further investment and, and further acceleration of the model. And we're now established as the leading global sports broadcast OTT platform and and in sports broadcasting more broadly a very established major global player. So yeah, it's been a it's been a very busy very exciting 6 or 7 years, but we're now a, yeah, a very established sports broadcasting business.
0: Yeah, you are established now, but in those initial conversations when you were going out to the rights holders, was there as much a conversation about Listen trust us this is how this is going to work and it will work as much as we can give you this much money to buy these rights how protective were they in those initial conversations about what could be achieved
1: I mean rights holders have different considerations not all of them behave in the same way and how each of them behave in different markets and at different times of their you know their growth in those markets economics are clearly a major part of any of those conversations right um especially for a new entrant you have to you know a bit like a nightclub, you have to pay to get in, right? <laughs> so we definitely had to demonstrate financial security. We had to demonstrate that we were, were well-backed and we were lucky to be well-backed. But I think in those in those instances, you have to remember, we, we are presenting not just a new business in this space, we were presenting to these rights holders an entirely new model for how to trade and broadcast their content. We were saying, streaming is the way forward. Don't sell your content to a traditional linear sports broadcaster, Um, sell it to us and we'll reach a bigger audience. It will take us some time. We'll we'll establish new relationships with new consumers and and that will benefit both of us. So it was probably a 50-50 at that point, you know, educating a lot of these rights holders. Some of them are more sophisticated than others at that point in terms of understanding streaming. The domestic players in the bigger markets, the American rights holders, the British rights holders, the major European um, domestic soccer leagues, for example, they'd done their homework, they knew streaming was coming, but we were the first mover. And so we had had the responsibility of educating them and and painting them a picture of why it worked for them in the long term. Um, So alongside the money, it was definitely that was part
0: of it for sure. Because once you've got those rights, now you have to get the audience. How do you make as big a splash as possible in that market? Again, one of the most competitive in the world globally, really hard to pick up an audience. How do you get people to come to to a company like yours. You have to run
1: efficient and effective marketing campaigns and brand campaigns, and that differs. How you do that and how you execute that differs hugely in in different markets. I mean, Japan is not the easiest place for a British business to go and launch its brand-new disruptive product in for a whole number of reasons, and I was lucky enough to spend two years establishing and running the DAZONE Japan business. It it behaves from a consumer behavior perspective and a business perspective, culture perspective very differently to the markets that we had done most of our business in. We were lucky that Perform Group had established a a small advertising business, smallish advertising business in Japan in the previous sort of decades. We had an established team who knew, you know, how to operate around Japan. We were asking them clearly to do a very different task, but um, yeah, tailoring the DAZN brand and the DAZN marketing messages to work in each of those countries was was a big challenge. I think the, the general theme of how we did that was through quite direct, quite um, tongue-in-cheek, quite brash marketing campaigns. And I, I think about we launched in Germany with a predominantly soccer package. Um, we're now a, a Bundesliga domestic broadcaster, a domestic Champions League broadcaster. At the time, our, our package was headed, was headed with... English Premier League rights in Germany. And we ran a campaign with a bunch of English consumers sort of angrily complaining about how good the deal was for German consumers. But it was, you know, having like a comical look at how angry British consumers were that Germans were getting such a good deal to watch Premier League content in Germany compared to what they were getting in the UK. So it was like a a bit of a tongue-in-cheek jibe at the British Premier League broadcasters, who are now obviously competitors of ours and frenemies of ours. And if you want to use that phrase, we work with them in a number of ways and we compete in other ways. In Japan, we embrace this notion of us being foreigners coming into Japan. Obviously, it's a hard market for a foreign business to come into. There's a a concept of the black ship in Japan, which refers back to when the American naval ships opened up trade aggressively with the Japanese who were resistant to it. And they had these black Navy ships. So any disruptive foreign force coming into Japan is often referred to as a black ship. Um, some Japanese like that, some don't. We embraced it and we had a sort of zone branded black ship advertising campaign with a bunch of Japanese and foreign football players dressed in tra- traditional naval uniforms and embraced the, comp- the, the notion that we were this sort of like foreign new disruptive force coming in. So I think the theme, although it was executed differently, the theme of our launch marketing as we entered new markets was to it was quite fun it was tongue-in-cheek it was disruptive it was representative of the sort of spirit and dna of our brand which despite now being a more mature business we maintain a lot of that in in the way that we go about our business we sort of retain a startup disruptive energy across the business so yeah that's i think a consistent thing
0: there has been a bit of swagger to zones marketing. I mean, you talked there about how it reflects the company. Do, does a company like yours have a personality?
1: I like to think so. Yeah, I think it definitely does. And I think the culture of the company is distinctly different to the, the rest of the sports broadcasting industry. The sports broadcasting industry, by the way, has a personality. There's, 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 It's a fun industry in which to work. It's not stale. It's not overly corporate. It's a fun place to work. I mean, sports is a fun subject matter, isn't it? Media, tech, sport, that intersection of things is always doing interesting things and always embracing change and innovating. And frankly, the product you're selling, which is sport, humans connect with and enjoy, right? It's one of the most universally loved things. So we're very lucky to work in it. And, and and obviously, look, leadership's changed since we launched and it's become a bigger business. The stakes are higher. Of course, the business grows up. And of course, there's a maturity that comes with that. You know, I've been with Perform since 2011. I've been with Dazone since before it was called Dazone when there was five of us in the room. Um, trying to work out what we're going to do with this thing. And there's a group of us who are still around. Like half, you know, More than half of that team is still in the business. So that wouldn't be the case if we'd pivoted and lost all of our character and gone into this big sort of corporate machine. It's definitely it retains a disruptive energy and a disrup- disruptive spirit that makes it a very engaging place to work, for
0: sure. When there were five of you in that room trying to figure out how all of this can work... I mean, obviously, without giving away a trade secret, at some point you'll have had to put a circle around a number and go, this is what it will take. When you presented that number, were you kind of holding your breath or was it, would it have been lower or higher than people would expect?
1: Um, I think that there's been various iterations of funding requirements for zone. Obviously, I don't want to get into specifics of that. Throughout the DAZN journey since you know late 2014, when it was very much research and scoping phase, Literally a blank sheet of paper. I've still got the the first deck that our then CEO James said, I think it was called The Star. And it was just like a bunch of bullet points about what we were trying to do, like very, very um, top line. From that point all the way through to now, there's been a very supportive set of shareholders led by Access Industries, Solemn Blavatnik's investment vehicle. Um, they've been very supportive. Yeah, of course they challenge us as they should as a board to be more effective, to be more efficient, but they've always wanted us to think big. They've wanted us to reimagine the world of sports broadcasting. They've wanted us to have a global view, which I think even to this day, we're the only sports broadcast in the world that has that scale of global view. We now have a, a global platform product that's available in 200 plus markets and territories around the world. So from day one, we've had that scale of ambition, that breadth of ambition, and to do that, of course, you need, you need to be well financed. So with that brief comes the support of funds and they challenge us in appropriate ways. They, they rein us back where that's helpful. But the vision is, uh, is shared and, and, the, and, and the financials are you know, consistent with that vision.
0: Who came up with the name Dazone, and did they realise how many people would perhaps not say it properly, as I will not (laughs) confess to not doing before we started this Uh, recording? (laughs) Yeah,
1: for sure. um, We we worked with a branding agency. We actually lent on... We knew at that point when we were looking at the brand that we were going to launch in Japan as... I mean, I think we launched Germany and Japan 10 days apart in August 2016. So Japan was, for all intents and purposes, our first market. Um, We knew that, that. We knew that that was different. We wanted to embrace that as, you know... Why not embrace that? It's, it's, it's a cool thing to be doing. And so the zone, although it's not a direct lifting and shifting, it, it leans on a Japanese phrase for warrior spirit, sort of like um ready, readiness for battle. And um obviously we knew we were going into a disruptive phase trying to bring about change in the industry. And so we we liked that, we ran with it. Clearly, there's been some some challenges as we've gone into new markets, and it's been mispronounced by many journalists. But it's a unique name; it gives us a lot to play with. We like the fact that it's it's two two syllables. We like the fact that it, it presents visually very nicely. And I think as we get deeper and deeper into the DAZN journey, the sort of like um, uniqueness of the name becomes less of an issue. People associate us in the markets we operate in with the content we carry, and the service we provide, and the product we we run. So that's where i think we've established um you know a, a solid home and a solid recognition for the design brand
0: okay let's take a break and while we're doing that hit the follow button on your podcast provider and you'll get how to be a ceo delivered to you first thing every monday morning you don't even have to think about it it'll just happen we'll see you after these Zone might be known here in the UK for boxing, but I I, I don't know how big boxing is in Japan, but I don't think it's one of the biggest drivers of of sport, is it?
1: No, look, that's a common misconception of of zone amongst British and US consumers and media for obvious reasons. You know, in in those two markets, our offering, our content offering right now is very focused, almost exclusively focused on, on boxing. That won't be the case for very long. We're investing more and more in global rights to a broad range of sports, but it also isn't reflective of where the zones come from. You know, when we launched the zone in 2016, as I say, we, we launched in Germany on the back of acquisition of Premier League English Premier League rights. In Japan, very quickly after launch, we acquired domestic J League soccer rights. So, the domestic football league, um, the equivalent of the Premier League in the UK, um, we acquired that in full exclusively. We've since added. Um, the vast majority of the domestic baseball rights, the, the the biggest sport in Japan, we've carried many of the um, and continue to carry many of the of the European domestic soccer leagues in a number of those markets. In Spain, we're an exclusive La Liga broadcaster, for example. In Italy, we're an exclusive Serie A domestic broadcaster. So there is a misconception, for obvious reasons, amongst British and American consumers that DaZone is a boxing business. Boxing is a huge part of our business. It's a very noisy part of our business because it needs to be. Boxing requires promotion. You've got Mr. Hearn doing what he does very well, going around the world, representing his events that we carry exclusively. He's a very good DAZN spokesperson, has been for a long time. So yeah, I, I, I get why that misconception exists, but the majority of the DaZone business globally is, I mean, we're a soccer-led business, if I'm honest, and we've got a bunch of great motorsport properties, uh, particularly in Southern Europe. We've got a growing roster of women's sport properties, notably the Women's Champions League, which we own uh, uh, globally and broadcast globally, uh, along with partners uh, at Google, YouTube. So uh, we have a broad, broad range of, of, of content in different markets and every content strategy that we take into each country is different and it evolves as we go. Canada, good example, a market I run from uh, North America, obviously, is is led by NFL and Champions League soccer content. And that's a very different content proposition to the US boxing proposition. The strategies are different. Um, but yeah, boxing markets, being the UK and the US are the exceptions to the rule. In most markets, we're a, uh, a multi-sport, multi-sport broadcaster. I'd also add the US and the UK are starting to broaden the, the content offer we we carry, I mentioned the Women's Champions League, that's just one example of the content we're bringing onto the platform that broadens us beyond boxing.
0: Yeah, Women's Champions League is obviously very interesting. Women's football itself is growing. Thinking globally, the, what kind of areas in sport are growing the fastest? What's the most exciting right now?
1: Well, I think, look, there's a, there's, a, there's a few I'd point to. I think women's sport has grown in terms of media coverage, consumer interest, generation of revenue, has grown uh exponentially in the last two or three years and it's long overdue the quality of competition has been hidden from public view I think legacy wise Um, the investment of major broadcast businesses in major rights in women's sport like DAZN's acquisition of Women's Champions League has brought a level of professionalism um, from a media coverage production distribution marketing perspective that was necessary to bring women's sport into into sort of media spotlight it's circular you know more investment more media interest better coverage more eyeballs back to more investment it's like a circular uh, reinforcement the rights fees to women's sports properties uh, are going to c- drastically increase in the next 10 years as they should and it's a success problem for broadcasters like us we've had some great deals we've made great rights deals we brought with 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 um women's sports properties alongside, you know, a commitment to, to grow them. As we successfully help grow those sports, um, the success problem that comes with that is, is higher rights fees and higher, higher investment to keep the content. Um, that's a good problem for us because it, and the industry because it reflects growth and growing public interest. I think fight sports generally are on a massive growth curve globally, especially particularly about, amongst young people. I look at the impact that celebrity boxing, YouTuber boxing has had on engagement around fight sports. That's been massive. COVID disrupted our investment in that slightly, but I'm very pleased that we're now back investing in that in a real way. We've partnered with Wasserman recently and KSI himself to launch the Zone Misfits X series, which is a a promotion specifically focused on um, celebrity and crossover boxing. So we started with YouTubers. We've now had a few rappers. Uh, we've had a few MMA fighters in boxing. This growth of a of a of a crossover boxing series, we we see that as as central to our growth because of the scale of opportunity, particularly amongst younger consumers and engaging them. So, for me, that women's sport and crossover boxing are two. There are others, of course, but in terms of his own business and the data points I see, they are two that I think are huge opportunities and huge, on both on huge growth trajectories for very different reasons.
0: I mean, obviously, the, the, there's a financial bottom line to growing up a sport that has a smaller kind of audience and then building that up to something bigger. But do you feel a kind of responsibility for it as well? I mean, earlier we were talking about the trust that you had to get from the rights holders. Do you feel like you have a responsibility to that sport, to its fans, to also... I guess, protect it as it grows.
1: Yeah, for sure. But I think our primary responsibility is to make good business deals and grow our business sustainably. Um, I think for too long, there's been a lot of virtue signaling around women's sport. You know, it's the right thing to do. If we're going to buy men's football, we should also do X and Y in women's football. That isn't sustainable. And the public interest in efforts like that isn't retained. We invest in women's sport and we invest in crossover boxing because they're both good business investments. And that's what our shareholders want us to do. There's no direction coming from our shareholders, our board to say, you know, invest in things that look good and make the brand look good and are effectively charity projects. We don't, we're not in the business of doing that. We have a responsibility to our partners for sure to shepherd their content and produce their content, present it in a, in a, in a professional way, in a, in, a, in a way that is consistent with growing the audience and growing the interest. But fundamentally, our, our primary interest is in growing our profitability. And we invest in those two areas uh, because they help that. They're consistent with that.
0: How close now is the zone and the plans you have for it? How close is it to that bit of paper with the bullet points that you had on it right at that very start?
1: Great question. I think I'll have to refer to it. I've got it saved on my laptop somewhere. I look at it occasionally. I genuinely do look at it occasionally. I think clearly we've evolved, the scale of our ambition. That, 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 that bit of paper for example did not say well by the end of 2020 be live in 200 plus markets of the world uh, it had a more specific focus on the markets we were stepping into but i think the principles of the business what we're trying to do for, for sports fans what we're trying to do for our shareholders um, i think is pretty consistent we have successfully disrupted the markets we have entered the content we've carried in mean, the boxing industry has been definitely enhanced from a consumer perspective and a fighter perspective in particular by our entry. The German sports media market, the Italian sports media market, the Japanese sports media market, all of those, we have been central. We've led positive disruption in those markets, evolution. And now I think we are so well-placed to take that initial vision forward to broaden what we do. Uh, We're gonna become so much more than just a broadcaster. And I'm very excited to step into that next phase of the business's growth, because I think we've been pretty true to our founding principles. We've now got the opportunity and the, business, the scale of business to go and execute on, I wouldn't call it phase two, because we're probably in phase six or something. We are very well placed to step into the next phase in a really healthy, sustainable way that makes us a, a very interesting business. And as I said at the start, a very fun place to work.
0: That was Joe McCoskey from Zone. For more news, interviews, news and analysis, go to standard.co.uk forward slash business or pick up the Evening Standard newspaper. How to be a CEO. We'll be back Monday morning. Hope to see you then.